Hi everyone, this is the Young Gunner podcast from the Texas Young Lawyer Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I'm your host, Eduardo Marquez. I'm an M&A associate at Sidley Austin in Houston and recording today from the headquarters of Akin Gump in Houston, Texas. Our guest today is Eduardo Canales, associate in the global energy transaction practice of Akin Gump. Eduardo will talk to us today about oil and gas and the role of young attorneys in the oil and gas industry. Eduardo, good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for the invite. Um, Eduardo, tell us a little bit about yourself and the type of work that you do at Iking Gump. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Mexico City, and I came to the U.S. to attend college at UT in Austin. And then I went to law school at the University of Illinois in Champaign. After that, I had a brief stint at another big law firm in Dallas doing corporate finance. And shortly thereafter, I moved to Houston for Aking Gum to do oil and gas. So when you moved to uh, when you moved to Houston, were you specifically looking for opportunities in the energy industry? Yes, I knew that um, Houston was a place to be. And so I was looking specifically for uh, opportunities in the oil and gas industry, uh, especially because back in the day, Mexico was opening its uh, energy industry to international investors. And so I saw a big opportunity for somebody with my background. Um, uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, oil and gas is kind of a must in Texas. At least you have to learn some for the bar exam. What does a young lawyer have to do to practice or get exposed, exposed to oil and gas law? Do they have to move to Houston like you did? Um, or they have to move, you know, another city in Texas where there's a lot of oil and gas business. And as you said, you know, what happens if they go to law school in another state um, and they have never been exposed to energy law? Yeah, well, I was lucky enough because my law school, even though it was in Illinois and there's not that much oil in Illinois, we had a couple of professors that were traveling to give some classes on oil and gas and law and oil and gas transactions. So I got my first exposure there. And that's when I decided that I wanted to to practice energy law. And it was, again, my professors who advised me to move to Houston because it is when, where, the place where you see the most sophisticated or the coolest transactions in the industry. Um, you don't necessarily need to move to Houston. There's other places that handle oil and gas transactions like Midland, of course, or Dallas or San Antonio, um, but, uh, or DC or New York, for example. But I would say that Houston is the best place to be if you want to focus your practice on oil and gas law. And um, what some of the things that um, you should do to be able to practice or exposed to, to be exposed to oil and gas law, I would say before going to law school, I, I know some people in my law firm have been um, landman, for example, that, that gives you a very good um, um introduction as to a lot of the issues that we deal on the day-to-day um, and also probably working on a business role in, a, in an energy company I think that would be great exposure and so finally I think and networking in, in the industries where you want to work it's it's also one of the most helpful things you can do so look out uh, for 
organizations that that focus on on energy and uh, or oil and gas specifically for example the the Houston bar has a section or that uh, the Texas bar has a section on oil and gas um, or you can also join industry groups like the IPN or the Institute for Energy Law yeah so uh, that's good that you touched this point because I, my my next question was gonna be you know what type of business development and association and other activities you are involved in and how have they helped you develop your career? Because as you said, it's a good way for you know, law school students or young associates to start developing their networking, you know, maybe future clients, mm-hmm. um, maybe just other people that are interested in the same type of legal matters. So how has joining this association, because I know you're active in, in some of them, um, how has that helped you uh, on your career? I think it has helped a lot. Specifically, when I was in law school, um, I joined the IPN. They have a, an option to join as a, as a law student, and that was very helpful because you can ask for scholarships to attend the, the, the annual meeting where you get to meet a lot of professionals from all around the world coming uh, to discuss the most um, relevant topics in the industry. And uh, you get that exposure and get to talk and learn about um, different areas uh, from joint operating agreements or unionizations to uh, government contracts or farm outs, for example. Things that um, back in the day I didn't really know what they meant. Um, joining these groups really gave me the exposure, the opportunity to, to learn from experienced people and develop those uh, connections that um, down the road um, allow me to to find the job that I have right now and and so I would uh, definitely emphasize the importance of, of doing good networking and uh, following up with the people that you meet because they will definitely it, it's a small community and so you will definitely run into them um, throughout your career and so it's important to have those relationships you mentioned JOA and unionization. These these are kind of like the particular, uh, some of the particular uh, language that is used in oil and gas deals or in the energy industry. Um, I think one of the things that makes oil and gas particularly different is this type of jargon or slang. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems that you know oil and gas, as many of other legal practices, is something that you end up also learning on the job. But as we said, you know, oil and gas jargon is particularly different. What did you do to kind of get used to the slang? Uh, did you do anything other than, you know, working on your deals? Did, you know, going to these conferences help you kind of be more comfortable yeah. with the terms? Or what, you know, what would you, what would you tell a young attorney so that they are not afraid? Because I remember the first time I saw a PSA with, you know, a lot of, <laughs> of terms that I had no idea. And they were, you know, in a way particular to oil and gas. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that. For an oil and gas attorney, um, you have to know everything else that a regular attorney would know. For example, M&A or um, securities. But you also have to be specialized in the industry. And so to the extent that you can um, read, for example, I I read newspapers, um, industry uh, websites every morning to keep up to date on what's happening and what are the latest developments. Uh, technically or legally, um, that's super helpful because when I see something that I really don't understand, I Google it and then I try to educate myself constantly. 
so that when I get a, something in a contract, I am not caught off guard. Um, and you you'll realize that this is a constant learning experience because we're not engineers, and but we do work very closely with them when we're working on a contract, for example. And so it is important that you develop that um, that knowledge and that lingo so that you're able to translate what the engineer wants to do on the field into something that um, it makes sense in that on a contract. And so if, if the engineer tells you, I want to drill this far and I want to be protected in this and this way, you have to take his words and translate them into what makes sense in, in a contract. And, and for to do that effectively, you have to you have to know what what he's talking about and be able to uh, talk on on the same wavelength. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult. And so, I would say um, keep up today with with the news and articles. Uh, try to go to um, CLEs or events, not only for lawyers, but also there are some really good um, events that are hosted by, uh, for example, the um, engineer groups or um, accounting groups or finance groups uh, that uh, that are also in, involving the energy industry that really uh, give you a different perspective but as, as a lawyer you're the one in charge of bringing it all together so um, those are good sources to, to get that information yeah so you mentioned for example and, and I think that's 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 true you know we end up dealing not only with the business guys or your client who might be, you know, a private equity firm or a big old company, um, you also deal with the guys who are on the ground, like, you know, engineers or landmen. Uh, so you have all of these characters participating in the deal and giving input, etc. What what do you expect from the young associates working on your deals? Um, you know, they rely on you and the partner to do the substantive comments. So. What you know? What do you expect from young attorneys working with you? Yeah, I was actually talking about this with a, with one of our young associates yesterday, um, and I would say that it, one of the key elements for success for a young associate is to show initiative and, and hunger, and ambition to to really learn and jump on uh, on the wagon of this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, and I want to be the best at it. So go out and do reading outside of of what you're doing at work. I mean, I know it, it, it sucks sometimes because you're tired after working a whole day, but it really pays off when you take the time to invest in yourself and and develop those uh, those skills like the language uh, skills or the technical skills outside of the work time because it by the time that you come back and I, I give an assignment to a young associate and they show that their initiative took them to know something that I didn't have to explain that that makes um, accelerates their progress definitely because I can trust them that they can do something without me having to take a long time to explain it so it, it becomes a, a, a faster relationship so I can give them more work or higher level work as they show progress in their in their development and so I would say my, my biggest advice would be Take charge of your career and, and make sure that you are developing your skills outside of work so that when when the opportunity comes out uh, at work in a project or in a negotiation, you are knowledgeable and you're prepared to make a, a, a significant contribution and you're not just 
um, like going with the with the flow and waiting for people to give you work. I think it's incumbent upon yourself to actually show the initiative and the drive that you want to be the best at what you're doing. And I think that's true in a lot of line of business, but particularly for attorneys, like you mentioned, you know, the, the need to have a knowledge of the energy industry or the oil and gas industry. That's a really good tip you gave us. You know, you have to create these habits and, you know, creating the habit of, you know, maybe getting a little bit earlier in the morning to the office and reading a couple of, uh, you know, news articles related to energy or, or energy journals, etc. That's definitely something that maybe at the beginning, young young attorneys or, you know, young professionals, we might not see the great value on it. But as, as you as you get to, to, to read and learn, you know, after a year, after two years, you, 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 you come to see that now you understand a little bit more the mm-hmm. industry and how that helps in dealing with clients, dealing with, you know, with the engineers, with the yeah. landmen and, and, and having that extra value for you. So, Eduardo, what would be a typical M&A or rather A&D like deal in oil and gas? I mean, what makes that different from, you know, an M&A deal in another industry? Yeah, so for example, um, it's important to draw a distinction between whether it's an upstream deal or a midstream deal or a downstream deal. So if it's upstream, you're dealing really with produ- producing assets, so leases or wells. Um, and for instance, in the U.S., that's that's its own particular um, type of deal because you're dealing with, with private entities or with private parties. As opposed, if it's an international deal, you're dealing more most likely with governments, or um, with a mix of governments and and private entities. And so, for a domestic A and D deal, um, uh, for upstream, you're really worried about, for example, title, who owns, uh, who owns the properties, the leases, the wells, um, and you have to make sure that um, the title work that you that you're reviewing has shows a complete chain or a full chain of title and that means that all the prior owners that of, of that particular property prior to the last owner who you're buying from um, have a, a clear title of, of the lease so there's no confusion about who owns it um, and so that's one of the biggest uh, issues that are negotiated also something to consider our environmental matter so if you're producing oil in West Texas, if there was a spill or somebody dropped a barrel of crude oil in the middle of, of one of the properties, do you have to clean it up? Or if there's a leak in a pipeline, how do you deal with that? So environmental issues is also very, very important. And um, the last one is, I think, uh, risk allocation and liability. So when you are negotiating a deal, one of the most important things is who is going to take the risk for what? And so... Um, the sellers will want to push it to the buyer and the buyer will want to push it to the seller to the, to the extent it's possible. And so that, that's how uh, the indemnity provisions are negotiated. And so who's going to be responsible for what after the, the purchase is closed? And, and I think to take that into consideration, um, it's important to, to see the value of the deal. What kind of asset is it? If it's a new asset, a green, a green, um, 
a green area which has never been developed before or it's a brown site that has been producing for the last 50 years. So there might be a lot of environmental liability there or, or there might not be any at all because it's all new and there has been no development. Or if the tile is all good, then you don't have any issues or if you have to deal with a lot of consents from, from uh, property owners, well, then you have to take that into consideration as well. And so some of, those are some of the bigger issues on a domestic upstream deal. In comparison, an international, on an international stage, an upstream deal looks a little different because uh, as opposed to the U.S., um, oil and gas resources are usually owned by the, by the national governments, whether it's directly by the government or by a state-owned entity. And so you likely find yourself dealing with with agencies or government governmental authorities to get the permits or the authorizations to buy something on top of having to negotiate uh, what would look like a, a regular deal in the U.S. with the difference that you don't have to deal with title, for example, because the government owns it. And so there's really no dispute as to who owns the land or the oil. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. But the environmental issues are still a concern as well as the risk allocation and so some of the components translate and some are very different and so you for example in international deals you have to take into consideration political um, conditions or economic conditions in a country that might not be as advantageous as it is in the u.s which enjoys the stability uh, economically and politically and like there's no revolutions or or stuff like that as opposed to for example trying to do a deal in in a country which is undergoing like civil unrest or elections that may swing how the government deals with 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 the oil industry, and so you have to also become knowledgeable on the, those kinds of issues when you're advising your client, and so that's why it, it, it comes full circle and it's about following on the news what's happening on your particular line of business. If you're working on international deals, you want to keep up to date whether there's an election in in an African country or a country in Latin America and how is that going to impact the oil and gas industry. So when a client comes, you know that there's an election and you can analyze and, and identify issues that otherwise they wouldn't have. And so those are some of the main differences uh, at the upstream level. Right, because it might not be the same to sign a contract with one administration that is you know, going to end in six months than signing it with the, the new uh, upcoming administration. I think oil and gas deals are sexy in the sense that for domestic deals, as you mentioned, you have like the M&A component of an M&A deal, but you add certain variables such as the title defects and environmental defects, and you deal with land, with title, and with other things, you know, maybe with a pipeline that affect the asset. Um, and in international deals, as you mentioned, you know, the, sometimes the fun and and sometimes the not as fun part that is dealing with, you know, countries in, you know, in other parts of the world, Latin America, Africa, where there's also a lot of oil, uh, makes it really interesting. And that's why a lot of young attorneys, you know, when they, they, they talk to people that have done international deals, that like yourself, they say, well... I think it's super, you know, it's really sexy. You go to <laughs> do this deal with the government of Angola or you dealt with this other administration in South America. And that's definitely something that I think a lot of times brings people or brings young attorneys or law students to try to get involved in the practice of oil and gas law. 
and also you know considering that you know energy as a as a whole but also oil and gas you know a lot a lot of times in the center of you know energy policy is very important mm -hmm. for the public policy of a country so you know that's why you know here in texas oklahoma louisiana like you mentioned also in dc you know you have you have all of these practices that are developed around um, oil and gas well that's great i think you you made some great points eduardo so before we close any final advice for young lawyers that want to get more exposed to oil and gas law yeah definitely i would say um one of the best advice that i ever got when i was deciding what kind of industry I wanted to work on during law school was like find something that you're truly passionate about because being a lawyer is not an easy job and when you do something that you actually love doing it makes a difficult job easier and so if you're going to spend a lot of hours at the office um, make sure that it's doing something that you actually find interesting and that you're passionate about because at the end of the day, it, it will make it easier not only to do your job, but also to do all the extra things that I mentioned previously, like reading the news or staying up to date or doing networking or meeting other people that are in the industry because it's something that you enjoy doing and it helps you be better. And so when you're better at something, I think you enjoy it more. And and so ultimately, I, I would say if you really think that you, you like the oil and gas industry, which is is something that I find extremely interesting. Um, I would say really get try to get some real exposure, whether it's at some of these uh, organizations that hold events around around the city or around the country on energy, or try to find a job in the energy industry and really get firsthand exposure and see if, if it's really something that you that you really love, and then just jump in with both feet and and do it. Um, with with drive and passion because it, it will pay off it's it's a really fun industry to work in and so to the extent that that you put a, a lot of effort it will it will definitely pay back and you will be able to work in really cool deals and meet really cool people all around the world and remember just that we all need uh, like energy to do everything we do in our everyday lives and so we have some sort of job security. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we will be, we will need people driving cars and and buying plastic stuff and whatnot until probably we die. And so, it's it's a good industry to work with. It, it has its ups and downs, as you know. The, the the business cycle of the oil industry, it's it's a little bit of a roller coaster. But um, you learn a lot on both ends of the cycle, and so it, it really helps when, like I said, when it's something that you love to do you it becomes part of your life and so just get exposure and and just give it your all and when the price of oil goes down someone's selling and yeah. someone will be buying right? yeah yeah and all, lawyers always win <laughs> <laughs> well thank you all for listening to the young gunners podcast from the texas young lawyer association don't forget to check out other episodes available on our website tyla.org and wherever you get your podcast if you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at TexYoungLawyers using the hashtag YoungLawyers. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope to see you back here for another episode. Eduardo, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.